Okay, so as Anil said, we've come to the end of our series on heaven, a seven-week series, appropriate really, because seven is seen as the perfect number. So it's right that we have the perfect number of preachers on this topic. We've been thinking, considering about our greatest expectation and the kind of the journey we've been through. We've looked at, well, what happened on Ascension Day? Where did Jesus go? That he was taken up in the clouds and he's gone somewhere. He is at the moment in paradise uh, and he is there with all believers who've gone beforehand. But that's not where it's going to end. There will be a day where Jesus will come again and there will be a renewing, a newness, a brand new earth that we will live on with him. Heaven will come to earth. And this is what we've been exploring and talking about over these last few weeks. We've, um, we've been flagging up as we go various resources and I just want to take that opportunity again. Three books are really, really helpful on this topic. We've got Straight to the Heart of Revelation by Phil Moore. We've got the Heaven book by Randy Alcorn. And we've also got Surprised by Hope by Tom Wright. You'll notice, obviously, purple is a heavenly colour because all those covers have got purple. In fact, Jane is, is looking very heavenly today, my I say, based on that. <laughs> so I came across uh, a particularly, what well, I thought, helpful table when I was considering just a, a bit of a recap on the story so far. And it's from Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven looking at things we often assume about heaven, but actually, what does the Bible say? So we've got here, we often, or or there's a general perception that heaven is just this non-earth, this spiritual something or other we can't quite handle. And yet the Bible states quite clearly, heaven, the permanent future heaven, will be a new earth. It will be a physical place that we will live on with Jesus. Often people think, well, it'll be a bit unfamiliar, a bit unsure, not really sure, or kind of a bit this out there, foreign. And yet the Bible says, no, it's going to be familiar. It's going to be earthly. It's going to feel like home. It's not going to be, well, what is this? Yes, there will be differences quite clearly, but there will still be something about it that we feel home and comfortable. We won't just be this disembodied state of spirits fluttering around. We will be a resurrected people on a resurrected earth. It will be embodied, there'll be physicality to it. We often think about, people have, well, we're going to, what about, I I will miss this or I'll miss that, we'll be leaving all our favourite things behind. No, the Bible doesn't say that at all. It says it's going to be a place where all the good things are going to be there. And there's still more to come, there's still more to explore. Often people say, well, there won't be any time, there won't be any space, it will just be a bit, well, we're not really sure. But again... The Bible's very clear, there will be time and there will be space. There will be a place where we actually live. It won't be static, but be dynamic, vibrant, changing. You know, we, our God is a creative God and, a, and the creator. He will continue to create and be creative. Some people say, well, it's going to be boring. There's going to be nothing to do. We'll just be floating around all day, playing harps maybe, and that will be the extent of it. That's a very different view from what's presented in the Bible. We're going to be worshipping God, serving him, reigning with him. There'll be purposeful work, not that gives chore and a burden, but it will be a delight and we'll have friends to enjoy. The Bible talks about feasting. I can't wait for those feasts. 
that will know everything instantly. There'll be no learning. There'll be nothing to discover. Therefore, it will be boring. No, there'll be so much to explore, so much learning and excitement. It won't be boring. It'll be fascinating. People think, well, there'll be a loss of desire. We won't feel anything. It'll just be, you know, no, we will desire, but there won't be that sense of things not being fulfilled. We will desire things, and it'll be good and godly. And some people think, well, heaven will just be the absence of things that are bad. While that is true, it's not just an absence, but a complete presence of all that is wonderful. So these are some of the things that we've tried to flag up as we've been going through countering general assumptions and and presumptions that circulate and even drift into, can drift into our thinking and trying to say, actually, what what clues does the Bible give us? And we've said, we don't know it all. We can't possibly know. But we get these signposts to where we're going. And so today we come to our final part in the series and we're looking at, and we shall be like him. We're going to be considering our resurrection bodies. Does that excite anyone to think about our resurrection bodies? We shall be like him. And our key passage we're going to be looking at is 1 John 3, 1 to 3. Let's have a little look at what it says. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Wow. What amazing words. What amazing truth. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Other translations, the love that God has lavished on us. That we, we, those of us who choose to believe in him and follow him, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. It's not just in the future, but we are his children now. He dotes on us now as our father. And there's more to come. What we will be has not yet appeared. There's more to come. We can know God's blessings now. We get glimpses of things now. But this this passage is saying there's more. There's more to come. When he appears, we shall be like him. Jesus is coming again. He is coming again. We, we, you and me, those of us who put our trust in the Lord, we shall be, we will, there's a promise there. We shall be like him, like Jesus. (coughs) Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, can we even begin to grasp what it will be like to be like Jesus? His resurrected body. He's the first fruit from the grave, we're told. We will have something of that. We will be like him. 
and we shall see him as he is. We'll actually see Jesus. We'll behold him. So the key part for us today is we shall be like him. We shall be like him. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be like Jesus? Well, it means that we will have glorified bodies, that we will never be sick or grow old or die. It means being completely without sin. No one like that has yet appeared on earth. But we shall be like him. In eternity, we will be morally pure, without sin, intellectually, without any uh, falsehood, any error, physically, without any weakness or imperfections, and we'll be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. So let's explore a little bit about what it might be to be like him. It's worth saying, first of all, being like Jesus doesn't mean we will be identical to him. We will not be identical to him. We will not be exactly the same as him. Some attributes belong only to him because he is both God and man. We will never be both God and man. We will always be human. So there are some attributes that we will not have. We will not be everywhere at all times. We cannot be omnipresent. We will not be all-knowing. We cannot be omniscient. These are attributes that belong to God and therefore to Jesus as being divine in nature. So we will not be identical to him, but we will clearly be alike him. That's what it says there. We will be like him. It's also worth noting that we won't be identical to everyone else either because if we're all being like Jesus you could say we're all going to be the same then no there's still going to be individuality there's still going to be differences between us you know Jesus calls us individually by name if we put our trust in him our our names are written in the book of life not the collective all Christians of all time not all those who've believed as one phrase no each of our names is written in the book of life if we trust in him we will have individuality there will be differences we're not just going to be this collective soup of spirits so first and foremost to be like does not mean we'll be identical to Jesus or indeed to one another there will be distinctiveness because God is incredibly creative What makes us unique will survive into eternity. Secondly then, Jesus' resurrected life is a model for ours. This is what that verse is saying, to be like him, it's a model for ours. And actually we have quite a few clues in the Gospels about what Jesus' body and what his life was like once he had risen from the grave. Philippians 3, 20 to 21 is similar to the the verse in 1 John that we read. It says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So he's the means of our salvation, 
and our resurrection, but he is also the model. We will be transformed to be like his glorious body. Jesus is the first fruits from the grave. A resurrected body has been seen on earth. Jesus, his body. We're actually told quite a bit about what this body will be like in the Gospels. Let me just read to you a bit from John's Gospel. This is the same man who wrote 1, 2, and 3, John, that we've just read from, about him when he said, we will be like Jesus. It's the same man who wrote Revelation. And this is what he talks about uh, soon after Jesus has been risen from the grave. John 21, 1 to 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was the third, now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. What does this passage tell us about Jesus' resurrection body? What clues do we get here? Well, first, I would say it tells us that he wasn't a ghost or a spirit. He was physical. You know, he took the bread and the fish. It didn't just fall through his hands. He actually took it. It says elsewhere in Luke's gospel, when he appears to the disciples, uh, Luke 24, verse 39, he says, See my hands and my feet, that it is my, I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And in the same account recorded in John, Thomas wasn't there at that first one. You might remember, Thomas wasn't with the disciples when Jesus first appeared in the, upper, in the room to, with them. And he says, only if I was to see him. And so we get this account happening a few days later where Jesus appears again and Thomas is there. And Jesus says, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. And presumably Thomas did. There was a physicalness, there was a physicality to Jesus' resurrection body. He wasn't just a ghost or a spirit. Secondly, I think this passage of, of this breakfast by, by this, uh, 
lake, the Sea of Tiberias, talks about a normalness about Jesus' body. He doesn't, he looked and behaved as a normal human being, as a normal person. They didn't recognise him initially, and it may be that perhaps they weren't expecting him, or perhaps the distance, but they didn't think, oh, this is a bit strange, that's not a real person over there. They spoke to him, his voice presumably sounded as a human being would sound. And he didn't hover or float over to them, or even walk on the water, which we know he did before he died. He just stood and he called. He behaved quite normally to our normal experience of how people normally look and behave. If you think about the disciples who, who spoke with him on the road to Emmaus, there was nothing that made them think anything weird about the person they were talking about. He was just a bloke walking along the road with them. Or Mary, when she first saw Jesus at the tomb, she thought he was the gardener. There was obviously some sort of ordinariness to this resurrected body. There will be a physicality to our bodies. There will be a normalness to our bodies. There was also a familiarity. They recognised him. Verse 12 said, Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Why? Because they knew it was the Lord. They recognised him. Jesus appeared a number of times to different people. And they recognised him as being, there was, there was something about his appearance that was very similar to what it was like before he had died. There was that continuity. Theologians talk about a redemptive continuity. There will be things that get carried into eternity. Our appearance, our character, there will be something about us, things about us that people will still recognise from our life now. And yet, there's more. There's more. Jesus' resurrection body was different. It did more. It was different. There was the continuity. There was the familiarity. There was apparent normalness. But there was more too. You know, it talks about him appearing in that room with the disciples. How he got there, we don't know. Maybe he somehow phased through the walls. Maybe he teleported there. Now, it might be he was able to do those supernatural things because of this jewel being God and man, because of his divine nature. Or it might be a pointer to what we might be able to do. But even if his body has those capabilities that ours won't, we know we will still be able to stretch the capacities of our perfected human bodies to their fullest, which will probably seem supernatural to us at the moment. We will be transformed to be like his glorious body. There will be a continuity, there will be a normalness, there will be a familiarity, and yet there will be more. And this more is something Paul goes on to expand a little bit in 1 Corinthians. We're going to quickly look at that. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at verses 42 to 44 and 50 to 57. This is what Paul wrote. 
So it is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be changed. We will be changed. Resurrection means fundamental continuity, yes, but also significant dissimilarity. There will be something about us that's similar and the same and carried into eternity, but we will be transformed. You know, when we looked at Romans 8, it talked about all of creation, including us, is held in bondage to slavery, and there is a day coming when we will be released. Paul says the perishable body is sown the, sown, uh, the perishable body is sown and then an imperishable one is raised up, no longer subject to physical to decay, to ageing. All of Ole won't be needed on the new earth. We won't perish. We won't wear out. Some of us are more aware of our bodies wearing out than others. But that won't be the case with our resurrection bodies. They're not going to get weary. They're not going to get run down. They're not going to get diseased. There will be no more death. No more death. You know, just this week I heard of one of the night shelter guests had died. I actually heard from one of the other guys who'd been staying there, bumped into him during the week. And I don't know where he stood with God. I don't know whether he had a faith or not. What I do know is he suffered enormously during his life. He was a very ill man. In fact, on the very first night of the night shelter in November, they said he may not last through the winter. He may die during one of these sessions. I know we were able to give his last few months that bit more joy. But I do know for those of us who trust in God, there will be a day where disease and sickness and death will be no more. Paul says that our bodies are sown in dishonour and they're raised in glory. There will be nothing dishonourable about us in heaven, nothing that we need to be embarrassed about, nothing shameful. We will be incorruptible. There will be no sin. We will be faultless, pure and spotless before our King. We're sown in weakness 
and yet raised in power. There'll be strength to our bodies. There'll be vitality. Those of us who struggle to move right now, those of us who struggle to get out of bed, that, that will be a thing in the past. What's sown a natural body will be raised a spiritual body. Now Paul's not saying here that we're going to just be spirits, otherwise he would have just said we'll be raised a spirit. He's saying we're going to be different, we're going to be a permanently, fully alive body. As Spock says to Kirk, it's life, Jim, but not as we know it. <laughs> what a hope we have, what a hope! Our present bodies are fallen and destructible, but our future bodies, those still bodies in the fullest sense, will be untouched by sin and indestructible. This is where we're going. This is where we're going. Feel free to smile at any point. <laughs> they will be like Christ's resurrection body, both physical and indestructible. What hope, what hope that is for those who suffer, those whose bodies are failing, those who live with pain, those who battle mental health problems, those whose minds don't work as well as they used to. What a hope. None of that, none of that will be an issue for any of us who believe because we will have these amazingly perfect resurrection bodies. A day is coming of freedom. Randy Alcorn quotes from Joni Erickson Tader in his book. Many of you all know this, the lady who's a quadriplegic, who holds on to this faith. This is what she says. I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me, or someone who has cerebral palsy, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive, no other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such an incredible hope. He goes on to say, Joni tells us of speaking to a class of mentally handicapped Christians. They thought it was great when she said she was going to get a new body. But then she added, and you're going to get new minds. The class broke out in cheers and applause. They knew just what they wanted. New minds. My body and mind for the moment may be relatively healthy, but as an insulin-dependent diabetic, I've known what it is for my body and my mind to fail me. They suffer under the curse enough that I too know just what I want, a new body and a new mind without sin, suffering and incapacity. Every year that goes by, I long more to be a resurrected person and to live on the resurrected earth with my resurrected brothers and sisters and above all, with my Lord, the resurrected Jesus. What a hope we have. What a hope like none other. 
This is our hope that one day, one day, we will have completely different bodies. We will be transformed in a moment. We will be released from captivity along with all creation to live on a new earth. And what will we do with these new bodies? What will we do with these physical bodies that we have on the physical earth? We will feast. We will serve Christ. We will reign with him. We will worship him forever. We can rejoice and be full of hope because we are God's children now. And we will have new resurrection bodies. We will live on a new earth. There will be no more sickness, pain, tears or death. We will see God and we will be with him forever. I came across this a while ago. In fact, I read read it to you before, but this, God just brought me back to this. This is what God says to us. As you seek me and see more of my glory, I am transforming you into the image of my son. One day you will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet sound, when Jesus appears, you will be like him because you shall see him as he is. You will be delivered from your body of death through Jesus Christ and your dwelling place will be with me. And I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. You will drink from the spring of the water of life without payment. And I myself will make for you a feast of rich food and well-aged wine. You will enter my rest, inherit the kingdom I prepared for you and step into fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. But most of all, you will see my face and be with me where I am. How can we not get excited about this? How can people even contemplate heaven's going to be dull and only just a little bit better than here? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible speaks of it in wonderful terms. And while we don't know all the ins and outs, we don't know it all, there will be mysteries. There's enough, enough in there to feed us and for us to rejoice. We're going to finish this morning by singing, There is a Day. So if the band could come up. This is a song by Fat Fish. We played the video a few weeks ago. In fact, just by way of irony, when we, before we played the video the other week, I went to read the lyrics out to you. Uh, you might remember, some of you probably didn't notice, but it was from the inlay card, and it was very, very small writing on this inlay card. And people helpfully started to shut the curtains and turn the lights off. My failing, weakening eyes were struggling to read it. And I, as it got darker, I was thinking, am I going to make it through <laughs> to the end of this? That won't be an issue with my resurrected body and my new eyes. When we see him, in an instant we'll be changed, is what this song speaks of. Once clothed with flesh, now clothed in immortality. Death has now been swallowed up in victory. There will be a moment when that becomes true. Then we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Let's stand, let's rejoice. Let's be people full of hope. 
Because how can we be their hope if we don't know ours? That's been the point of this series, is to stoke us afresh what God has called us to, where we're going, his plans for us. And as Jeremiah prophesied hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, God has plans for us to give us a hope and a future. Wow. Let's worship our King.